Well, good morning. Nine fifteen was better than that. I said, "Good morning." There we go. See, that's all you got to do is compare you to the nine fifteen. You guys are like, "Yes, Amen." Can I get it? Anyway. Uh, my name is Brandon Graham. I'm the men's minister. Uh, if you just walked in, you missed the announcement. Surprise, it's not Ron. Um, it's going to be this way for the next few weeks. He's on uh, some much-needed rest and recuperation. So uh, we've, we've got the reins for a while. So here you go. Beans and cornbread, and we'll be back to the good stuff when he gets back. So here we go. Um, first off, I wanna, here's how today's going to go. I'm going to pray for us a little bit. Um, and then I'm going to talk about me a little bit, then I'm going to talk about you guys a little bit, and then I'm going to talk a whole lot about Jesus, then we're going to wrap this thing up with some more prayer, and we'll be out of here in time to grab some lunch, and Dad gets a nap this afternoon. Amen? Okay. Now, it's, it's Father's Day. I'm excited about it. I love Father's Day, um, not because of any gift that I get, just because, like, my kids, like, they, they my, my wife went shopping for them, but they gave me gifts last night, and it was like the coolest stuff. Like, it was not like, well, the shirt was one of them, but it wasn't like anything earth-shattering. Like, I didn't, I didn't, you know, it's like the commercial around Christmas time. I didn't walk out, and there was a big red ribbon around a Lexus, and my wife's like, hey, happy Father's Day. Uh, but it's just meaningful to me because my kids, I mean, it just means so much to me to be a dad and to, even though I make a mess of it all the time, and they're probably going to be hooligans because of the way I raise them, um, that... God's grace is, is just reminds me how awesome it is to get a chance to be a dad. But I also know that this day, just like Mother's Day, isn't awesome for everybody. I understand that there's, there's things in life that have happened since last Father's Day. And maybe you've lost a, a brother or a, a father or a husband. Or maybe even you're a father in here and you've lost a child of any age. From, from a kid all the way up to an adult for whatever reason. And this is your first Father's Day without that relationship, either father to child or child to father, and, and, and this is kind of tough for you. So what I want to do is I want to pray for you, and I, I don't make anybody uncomfortable. Ron does this every week, and so by now you should be comfortable with it, but if you're not, um, that's okay. I don't, if you're new with us and you don't feel good about it, that's cool, but man, I'd really like the opportunity just to pray for you and for strength and comfort this today if, if any of those categories, if this Father's Day for whatever reason is just really tough for you. Could you stand with me and just let me pray for you? There was 20 in the 915, and now there's one. Okay. Thank you, dear. My good friend Fred Bean went on to be with the Lord. Thank you, Linda. Thanks for being here. Anybody else? I can just pray a blessing over you today. Father's Day is a tough day for you today. Okay, let me pray a blessing. God, I thank you for these individuals that had the courage to stand. I thank you for those who are sitting here right now that, man, are going, wish I wish I, wish I would have stood up. But God, whatever it was, man, you know what's going on. And uh, you know what's going on in their hearts. You know what, what, how empty and lonely it can feel on this day as everyone else is celebrating. We're just wishing dad was running the grill. Or we're just wishing that dad was, was tossing the football with the kids or grandkids. But he's not. And he's on, uh, he's on to be with you. And, and I pray, God, a, a blessing of hope and peace and courage, encouragement today, God, uh, for these families and these individuals standing. God, I just ask you to be with them and bless this time that we have together. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for standing up. Um, so here's, here's me. Uh, the irony of Father's Day that I get to be, I get to speak to you on Father's Day is that I grew up without a dad. That's like, okay. Like I said, I, I told the last one, I think it's default. They just said, oh, who's the men's minister? But then I thought, no, that's too high. I think Ron was on his way out the door and he checked his calendar. He's like, oh, dang it. I don't have anybody for the 18th. Hey, Brandon, can you fill in on the 18th and preach? And so whatever it is, God's brought me to this point. Um, and it's done a, a excuse me, a huge work in my life um, just this week and the last couple of weeks that I've been studying and preparing for this, this sermon. 
But I need to begin just by being transparent because I believe that being authentic and real and transparent breeds transparency in other people. You see, I, I'm, I'm not your typical flower mound guy. But the reason that I do well at a church in Flower Mound when I'm more of a kind of a blue-collar construction kind of guy background and I'm a little bit more rough around the edges and, and if you got me in a business meeting, I'd probably embarrass you more than I'd help you. But I'm just that guy. But, but the reason I'm, I have a little bit of success is because I don't mind just sharing with you who I am because I'm no better than you. Just because I work at a church, I'm no spiritually better than you. I fight battles just like you every single day. I have a childhood. Now, this is really tough for me because my daughter is sitting on the front row. She wasn't sitting on the front row of the first service, but uh, that doesn't negate what God told me to tell you this morning. So I'm just going to be transparent and honest with you and probably have some conversations with my daughter after the service. <clears throat> so uh, here goes. Um, when I was uh, four years old, <clears throat> I, was, uh, I was sexually abused at one time incident by uh, my buddy's older brother. Uh, I grew up poor. My dad wasn't around, didn't have anybody to love me. Uh, I raised, was raised by my grandparents. I'm not, again, please don't hear me. I'm not, this is nothing to this is for me to uh, feel bad for me or feel sorry for me. As a matter of fact, there's a, there's a crescendo of, of good news at the end of this. But um, I grew up without a dad. Uh, my mom, my dad left my mom when I was an infant. And so in the 70s, uh, dads worked and mom stayed at home. That's what happened, and that's how it worked. And so when dad left, mom had to figure out something. It was either live on welfare for the rest of our life or do something. So she went to college and, at, at the University of Oklahoma, Boomer. And thank you. Amen. And uh, I see the Andersons up there. I know, you, I know you're feeling like saying it. You can say it. Thank you. Um, she got her degree, and as, that, as that, that part of my life went on, I was raised by my grandparents um, for the most part. Um, for that first four or five years. And then my wife, or my wife, excuse me, my mom got a job. Uh, but back in the early 80s, guess what? You think wage gaps are a big deal now. Back then, no women were in management. My mom had a degree in business management. So it was tough. She couldn't get a job. She'd get, she'd get a job. But she's got a business management degree from the University of Oklahoma, and she works as a secretary, making whatever she was making. I don't know, but it wasn't a lot. We were po. Like, we couldn't even afford the O and the R. We were just that broke. And... It was tough, and I grew up, and I moved around a lot because my mom would get the next best job and, and go, and, and so I would have relationships with friends, and then I developed these relationships with friends. I put trust and faith and, and trust in these friends, and then it would be just taken away from me. And I put faith and trust in my friends, and it's just taken away from me. So through this, I built up a gigantic wall. I put up this iron fence of walls that, you, that, that last still today, and God's still working on me on some of this, but, man... I sabotaged my own relationships. Like, I didn't know this till a couple years ago, maybe even less than that, but I sabotaged my own relationships growing up because I would get in a relationship with a girl and she would genuinely like me and I would start liking her and then I would just be like, done, I'm out. Because, and I didn't know why, but it was because I had this fear of rejection. I had this fear inside of me that once again, if I just get close to this person, it's gonna be taken all away from me. And so, by God's grace, my wife was wired the exact same way. She has walls a mile high and 30 inches thick. And I was the same way. And when we met one another, God gave us a window of grace where we would both put down our walls and just be genuine. And I would love to say, yeah, right then I put all my faith and trust in her, uh, not as my Lord and Savior, but as my wife. And I was like, man, she's going to be awesome. This is going to be great. No, I made a mess of marriage the first few years of my marriage because I lived still with this thought in the back of my mind that this is not going to be forever. She's going to probably, I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. 
I'm just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Then my kid's born, and I'm like, okay, I have this relationship. You can't break this relationship. And I'm like, but wait, I see kids in children's hospitals die all the time. So waiting for the other shooter up. God has poured enormous blessings on my life and I can't see it for the anger that's built up in me. And anger not manifesting itself in my, like throwing a coffee cup across the wall or crashing into stuff or abusing my children. Anger that manifests itself in anxiety and depression and, and just lack of control that God had just put on me. And I, I couldn't understand it until I truly started understanding the gospel message of Jesus Christ and it set me free. Now, trust me, men. I... I am no better than you in this. I feel like God just put me in the driver's seat and said, here, drive, without any driver's education or any, like, that's the gas, that's the brake, just go. Just see how this thing works out when it comes to being a father. None of you woke up and said, man, I want to be a deadbeat dad. I want to scar my kids. I want to put labels and expectations on them that's going to ruin them forever. That's none of your hearts. You all woke up like I did thinking, I just want the very best for my kids. I just want to do best by them. And maybe you were, you were one of those young kids that your wife got, or your, excuse me, your girlfriend, or maybe your wife got pregnant when you were 19, 20 years old, and you freaked out, and you didn't know what to do, and you're like my dad, and you bailed because you had your own stuff. Let me just say, hurt people hurt people, right? Hurt people hurt people. So it's not like your dad, if, that, if, you, if you grew up like me, my dad didn't get this like, idea that he was just going to, man, I just really want to hurt my son. He was just hurt and didn't know how to deal with it and took off. Not making excuses. I'm just saying, guys, give yourself some grace. If you've messed up in the past, if you've screwed up in the past, guys, give yourself some grace. I'm extending you grace this morning. This is not going to beat you over the head sermon. This is a, a story of God's love for us and his grace towards us. So as we get into the text this morning, I just want to let you guys know this is the angle I'm coming at you from. As a guy who's in the trenches raising an 11, a 9, and a 5-year-old on my own, or with my wife, but, you know... <laughs> I shouldn't have corrected that. I should have just went going, and then she would have corrected me later. You guys laughed when I corrected it. Um, but I, <laughs> so many different ways that that could have gone. I'm just a guy in the trenches with you, elbow to elbow, trying to raise my kids, trying to love the Lord the best that I can, and dag on it. Sometimes I get stale. Sometimes I'm not the best husband. Sometimes I get self-centered, and sometimes, a lot of times, I make decisions for my kids or towards my kids or act towards my kids a way that God is not honored or glorified, and I have to go back and ask for forgiveness from them, and I have to repent. It's just part of the deal. I'm just like you. But man, we serve a God that's not. So let me, if you can open your Bibles or your tablets or your handheld device, if you promise me you won't be on Twitter and Facebook and you'll be on, or you can be on the YouVersion app where all my notes are and you can, you can see where the message is going way ahead of me. And you can remind me if I've skipped a point. Uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 3 verse 13. Matthew chapter 3 verse 13. Let me set the scene here. Jesus has not done anything yet. Matthew chapter 3 uh, is about John the Baptist, and he's preparing the way. But John the Baptist is blown up. John the Baptist is super popular. There's crowds gathering around him, all around him from, from the Jordan River, and they're coming to be baptized by John the Baptist. John has blown up. He's changed his name to J to the B. He's a verified Twitter, follow, Twitter account so that you know he's the real deal. Um, he's, he's, got his, you know, he's got more Facebook friends than, than most of anybody in here. He's, hundreds of thousands of people are following him. People are knocking down his door for a book deal. They're thinking about you know, launching a show on TBN with he's going to be the star. I mean, he's just at the, at the climax of his popularity. But John won't let it go. He says, pump the brakes, guys. This is not about me. Yes, 
It's, uh, it's very tempting to get the book deal. It's very tempting to be on TV. It's very tempting to be popular. But guys, it ain't about me. You see, John was the first Baptist preacher. And he said, you know, the, the, with a true heart of repentance and love that says, hey, I don't want you to make this about me and how great I am. I want you to make this about how great the guy coming behind me is. In a few months, about six months, there's going to be a guy coming behind me. He's the Messiah. They said, you're not the Messiah? He said, heck no, I can't even tie that dude's shoes. A job, by the way, that was, ser- that was for the wa- worst slave, the lowest on the totem pole of the slaves, because it was such a nasty, filthy job, which Jesus demonstrates later by washing the disciples' feet. But he says, this is, I'm going to humble myself. I'm not even worthy to do that for the guy that's coming. You think I'm awesome? Just wait. So he's preparing the way, and he's, he's not preaching like topical sermons on your best life now. He's preaching a, a fire and judgment brimstone gospel. He's preaching repentance to everyone around who are all Jewish. And he's saying, you're wrong. The entire system that you've been living in is wrong. The Messiah is coming. Repent and be baptized and believe in him. This guy coming behind me, got to get my prepositions correct, not beside me. The guy coming behind me in the next few days or a few months or a few weeks, whenever he decides to show up, is going to be the judge of all mankind. He's going to use a winnowing fork and he's going to separate wheat from chaff. And all of you look the same. And the only way he's going to separate is the day of judgment with that winnowing fork. And all of you that are wheat, you'll be stored forever in the barns. All of you that are chaff, you're going to be burned away. That's not a very popular message. If I preach that, or Ron preached that here every Sunday, we would grow this place down to about 50 people uh, who just love getting beat over the head. But you see, John didn't have a heart of just anger preaching and, and, and sweating and spitting just for the sake of him. He was doing it out of love, and therefore the Holy Spirit was working, and large crowds were gathering behind him. John was preaching the gospel, and people were coming to be saved left and right. That's what I tell people every time we have a baptism. Uh, I, I'm the minister over baptisms, and every time I talk to an adult about baptism, I say that's why baptism is so important, because it was, for them it was a public statement that says, I denounce all the Jewish things that all of you other guys believe, and I'm following Jesus. Here's the kicker. They're doing it before Jesus even shows up yet. They're doing it on word of faith and hope that what John the Baptist is preaching is true. But then in verse 13, it shifts gears. John is no longer the focus of the book, and now it's Jesus. Verse 13, then Jesus came to Galilee, to the Jordan, to John, to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, listen to this, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, The heavens were open to him. He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. That's where I'm going to pause and that's where I'm going to camp out today. That last sentence. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. At this moment in time, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son are present in the exact same spot and they're manifest in a physical way that everyone can see them together. So if you ever hear heresy that says God is only the Father at one point, then he was the Father, then he was Jesus, and then he was the Holy Spirit, you point to this text and go, no, he's all three at the exact same time, and he manifests himself when Jesus was baptized. Now, another point, and for the sake of time, I'm going to, I'm not, I'm not going to go through all the scriptures back there, guys. I'm just going to jump ahead. Um, but Matthew 12, 18 is the prophecy of this exact thing happening out of Isaiah 42. And that's in Matthew uh, 
12, 18. Matthew 17, 5 is the transfiguration of Jesus. When he takes Peter, James, and John on the mountain, the heavens open up, there's Elijah and Moses, Jesus starts talking to them. Peter freaks out. He's like, hey, you want me to put some tents up so you guys can like hang out? He's like, what? Wait, this is a glimpse of what eternity is going to look like. So the cool part is God spoke when he began Jesus' ministry, and then he spoke again when he was showing them what eternity looked like. And they're not, the Jewish crowd's not unfamiliar with this. In fact, in Exodus, when God spoke, he always spoke through a cloud. So you go start by Exodus like 13 or so and all the way up through like 24 when he's guiding Moses. He talks to them in a cloud. So when the clouds opened up and people, and you heard him talk, you'd be like, holy cow. But in Matthew, uh, you'd be, holy cow, this is God's. But in Matthew 17, 5, the transfiguration, uh, God says the same thing. He opens it up and he says, this is my son, my chosen one with whom I am well pleased. Mark 1.11 is Mark's account of the baptism. Luke chapter 3 is Luke's account of the baptism. And Luke chapter 9 is Luke's account of the transfiguration. Why do I say that? Guys, nobody leaves this out of their gospel. It's hugely important that God, that God sanctioned his son and said, This is him, my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. This statement is, is spoken 11 times. With Peter and Paul refer back to this. This is a big honking deal to the people of uh, to people of this day and to us as Christians. And I want to point out three things that, that the fatherly love of God has for Jesus from us and kind of give God, guys a little bit of encouragement as we go through. The first thing we see is that God calls Jesus his son. He says, this is my son. Now that's a big deal. Like to be the son of God, it's kind of a big deal. Like, right? Can we get an amen on that? Like it's, it's, it's I mean, it's, it's more than just like I'm Bill's son or I'm Tom's son. I'm the son of God. It gives me all authority to go forward and do the things that you've asked me to do and commissioned me to do all the things that you do. So God has put his seal on him, but he's also put a label on him. See, we're, our, cultural, our, our consumer culture, we're, we love labels. You love labels. I love labels. We all love labels. Why? Because we can use labels to present how we want people to see us. By the clothes you wear, by the, uh, the car you drive, the type of computer you use, the type of phone you use, it doesn't matter. It's all a label, and you expect people to get a certain uh, perception of who you are based upon the labels of the things on your stuff because labels are important. Another way we get labels is uh, by our careers. Um, So if you're a doctor, like I'll just tell you, like when you tell me you're a doctor, I already can formulate some stuff about you. Like I just know these things about you. most of which are stereotypes and probably aren't true across the board. But for me, it makes me feel better. And I'll, I have my own perception of what, to, what you think when I think you, you're telling me you're a doctor. So if you're a doctor, okay, I know that you are really smart. I know that you make a ton of money. And I know that you uh, had a really long 10 or 12 years in medical school and I could never do what you do. And all doctors are like, yeah, that's right. You could never do what I do. <laughs> doctors and pilots, they'll be the same. No. They're both in my small group, and um, I'm just giving them a hard time. Um, If you're a lawyer, (laughs) if you're a lawyer, you tell me you're a lawyer, I know that I can trust you if you're on my side, but if you're against me, I don't trust you. Um, And I know that I want the good good ones to battle for me, but man, I really hate to go up against you. And if, if you're on a commercial, then I don't trust you at all. Just my perception, okay? Again, labels. Like, we just get these labels. But here, let me shift gears. Like, first you have... (laughs) Commercials. Uh, First you have guys that are, like, in the the white-collar world, and you have your example about different different cultures. 
I have a different, what if you said I'm a, I'm a construction worker? Well, then immediately I think all these things, what if, you, what if I'm a roughneck in the oil field? Well, son, you need to be at church on Sunday because you need to get saved. Like, that's, I'm judgment, I know. But labels mean stuff, okay? That's why, uh, praise God, I grew up in western Oklahoma, which is very much like Midland, Odessa area. And if you go out there, like all my buddies, they have like, like their, their hashtags on their posts now is like, white trash or oil, fi- oil patch trash, oil field trash. Like it's a label. They want to be like all the roughnecks. They love being labeled like uh, oil patch trash or whatever. And it's like, it's just because labels matter. That's all, that's all I'm trying to say. Labels matter. So to, for God to label him as his son without anything else, to label him his son, it was a big honking deal. Okay? So he, number one, he said his son. Let me ask you this, dads. How do you label your kids? How do you label your kids? Hey, this is my son, Jim, and he's a, he's a really good soccer player. Hey, this is my daughter. She makes a, straight A's. If we're not careful, we can get in the habit of attaching achievement and academics or other things to our kids when we introduce them to other people, and it puts a label on them that they have to live up to. And you, we don't mean to. We're not, no one's like, man, again, no one gets up this morning and goes, I'm going to screw up my kids today. Um, but it happens because we, we, if we're not careful, we can focus on the things that our kids do and make that their identity and put that label on them and miss that, hey, this is my son. That's who that person is. That's it. There's no other standard to be met. That is my son. Number two, he says he loves Jesus. He loves Jesus. Now, if you, ever, if you grew up listening to, to music, uh, Christian music, particularly in the late 80s, early 90s, you may have heard of the great theologian DC Talk, and they had a song called Love is a Verb. Anybody remember that? Thank you for the saved person up, up front. Um, love is a verb. Uh, it is, though. I mean, it's not just a, a catchy song. Feeling, we often equate love with feeling and emotion. And that's a noun. That's just kind of a byproduct of what we do with our action. As a matter of fact, in order to love somebody, it takes action. God so loved the world that he gave. You have to do something. There's not, love is not just this emotional feeling, this kind of, oh, oh, sweet, and unicorns and rainbows. It's more about the rubber meeting the road and the actions of your day-to-day life. And so God showed Jesus he loved him, not only by speaking it publicly, but God had an interpersonal relationship. Yes, as the Trinity, I know, those of you that are judging. But even as a father and a human son, he had an interpersonal relationship that couldn't be broken because they were so close together because he loved him. It was like the lady who went to the, the, the lawyer's office and she said, I want to stick it to my husband. Like, we're getting a divorce, but I don't, I don't want to do it right now. I want to, like, do something really good and, and something really maniacal. So she called one of the guys in the commercial, and he brings her to the office. And she says, he says, this is how we're going to do it. You're going to go home. He goes, do you read the Bible? She goes, uh, sometimes. He goes, I don't. But I heard 1 Corinthians chapter 13, there's a whole long list of ways to love your husband and love your wife and all this stuff. I, I was at a buddy's wedding last week, and they, they read it. Pretty good chapter. So, like, be patient, be kind, all this kind of stuff. I want you to go home, and I want you to apply that. And I want you to like tell him, you know, when he gets home, tell him how proud you are of him, that you're, he's your husband. I want you to give him a shoulder massage, cook him dinner, uh, speak highly of him in front of the children about how much you love him and how much you appreciate him and how hard he works. And uh, when he needs rest, give him rest and help him to do the things around the house that he wants to do and give him space to do those things. I want you to go home and do all those things. And then after a couple of months, we're just going to be, boom, gotcha. Going through the big D and don't mean Dallas. We just want to lift him up and then drop, just pull him, drop it on him. She said, yeah, that sounds great. 
Thank you, sir. And she runs home. And she opens up her Bible to 1 Corinthians 13. And she starts reading all the things of how, how, how love is just a noisy symbol unless it's all these other things. So she's like, patient, kind, love, okay, good. So she starts doing all these things. And she's patient with her husband. And she's not quick to anger when he, when he talks to her. And she supports him. And she loves him. And she helps him. And, and for, before long, the lawyer like, looks at his watch. And he realizes it's been a couple months. And all he sees is a dollar sign. So he calls her up to say, hey, were we ready to do this thing? I mean, I, I got the paperwork right here. She goes, divorce, are you kidding me? We're renewing our vows. You see, when you start acting out of love, the feelings and emotions come afterwards. You don't have to have the feelings and emotions to start loving people. You don't have to feel in love with your kid's mom to show them love. It will come if you just commit the acts of love for them. So love is a verb. So God says, I love my son. This is him. I love him. And finally, he says, God is pleased with Jesus. This is just Bible speak for God's proud of him. That's my boy. God is proud of Jesus. Here's what's cool about the whole thing, though. God is proud of Jesus because of what he just said, because he is my son and I love him. God is not proud of Jesus because he was a great carpenter. By the way, I can imagine that he was. I can imagine that the king of the world grew up being a carpenter. I imagine he outworked his dad. I imagine none of his cabinetry had joints in it. I imagine that like, there was just good stuff coming out of the carpentry shop of Jesus of Nazareth. Like, but he didn't say, this is Jesus the carpenter, my son, who does really good cabinet work and who can build you the best house. He didn't say any of that. He said, this is my son, and above all that, I'm proud of him. Can I ask you, parents, is this how we love our kids? Do you love your kids in a way that says, I don't care what kind of grades you make. I mean, I care what kind of grades you make, but it doesn't affect the way I love you. I don't care when you get in trouble at school. It doesn't affect the way I love you. It doesn't affect the fact that I am proud of you to be my son or daughter, not based on any academics, not based on any achievements, not based on any awards, any trophies. That has nothing to do with it. I love you because you are my son. Now, I'm continuing to use the word son, but I'm talking to everybody in here, and I'm going to explain that theologically in just a minute. But I'm talking to every single person, regardless of your gender, when I say you are my son. I am proud of you and I love you. Do you say that to your sons and daughters? That they know that has nothing to do because if you don't, they're gonna grow up thinking they have to earn the favor of their, of their heavenly father like you. They're gonna think, they're gonna build a theology, not intentionally. They're gonna grow up building a theology thinking that they have to do better at their Bible study. They have to do better at this. And if they always don't have that really warm, huggy, feely, lovey feeling going on that they're just, they're just backslidden Christians away from God. Can I just say we all go through times like that? And it's the action-oriented, calling back to the last point, it's the action-oriented steps that get us there. But God doesn't base his love on any of that. He didn't base that on his son because he was, God, Jesus hadn't even, like, turned water into wine yet. Like, there's no miracle been done. Nobody's been healed from the, nobody, Lazarus hadn't been raised from the dead. Nobody's been, no blind people have been healed. Nothing. I am proud of this person because of his identity, because his is my son. Now, that would be a great Father's Day message. I could pray right now. We could say amen, and you guys walk out of here with some practical tips. Yeah, I should probably tell my son I love him. I should, tell, should do it all in public, tell him how proud I am of him, and so forth and so on. But that's not the best news. Here's the best news. Look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. For our sake, he made God, he made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. 
For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in Christ we might become the righteousness of God. This is the greatest statement we could ever say. Today on Father's Day, I need you to know and I need you to hear me say that there was an exchange made for you. Now, if I start preaching the gospel and just start going, well, on the third day, Jesus wrote again and so on and so forth, that can wear kind of smooth in our Christianese culture. And my prayer is that today, this morning, you're going to hear it fresh for a new time, that you're going to fret, you're going to hear hear it afresh for the first time and it's going to really land on you the way it landed on me. There was an exchange that took place. We often talk about the gospel and how Jesus Christ died for your sins. We sang about it. Two songs in a row about how God, death was arrested. God took all of your sin on him, put it on the cross on his son and, was, and put it to death so that you don't have to experience death. But that's, not, that's only half of it. Here's the other part. When, God, when Jesus Christ took you and your stuff and put it on the cross, he also put you in his place as his son. Do you believe that this morning? He puts you in his place as his son. In other words, if you are a baptized believer, excuse me, not baptized believer, heresy. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, baptism does not make your salvation. Sorry, we're talking about the baptism of Jesus and my brain got ahead of me. Okay, now, edit that out of the podcast. Thank you. Um, (laughs) If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you owe no longer... You are no longer you as a human form. You are now viewed by God as the son of God. That's why it doesn't say sons and daughters. Like, some, like the NIV wants to change it to, we should be sons and daughters of God. No, because there's only one son of God. He had only one son and only one person with that much stature and that much place. And men and women, you are seen as the son of God. You have everything, all the righteousness, all the giftings, and all the spirit that, the, that Jesus Christ was given. You have it too because you are now a son of God. So let's look at the three points one more time, personalizing them. Number one, God calls you his son. Again, the great exchange. You are now his son. You are covered in the righteousness of his blood. And God doesn't see you for sin. God doesn't see your habits, hurts, and hangups. Thank God for me. I need Jesus more than most of you in this room. I'm just telling you that right up front. But God doesn't see it that way. He sees me just as he sees Jesus Christ because of salvation, because of him. Number two, God tells everyone that he loves you. See John chapter three, verse 16. For God so loved the world, the most published book in the world, the most purchased book in the world, the number one best-selling book of all time is in this book. He tells everyone that he loves you. God loved you so much that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have ever Lasting life. And finally, God's proud of you. If you're a believer in Christ, God's proud of you. Dads, let me talk to you again. You've undoubtedly, in the last however many years you've had kids, you've made a few mistakes. You've done stuff you're not proud of. You've done stuff that you may never tell your kids about. You've done things that you've treated your kids a certain way that you may you, you feel the need to repent. But because you're his son and because he loves you, God is still proud of you. Men, women, God is proud of you and he loves you. And he desires a deep relationship with you. 
Now, I know, again, the gospel can kind of wear smooth if, if we don't take time to, to, put some, to put some meat on it. So, Allison, come here. She didn't know this was happening. Come here. My other kids weren't in the last service, so she gets to be part of this. Um, as I was studying for this message, um, it occurred to me last night, like, how do I make people understand? Like, this, it seems so simple that a, uh, that a minister would just say, yeah, I mean, Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, right? I mean, duh. Like, what more is there to say? Jamie, what, what, what else do I have to say besides that? Like, how do I fill that out, right? I, I, I can't. But I can, because I started meditating. I said, like, how can I communicate this? So I looked, and I brought my son. This was actually my son, Mark, that, was, that I did this to. But I brought him up, and I said, son, I love you. I love you, and I'm proud of you, just because you're my son. Now, Caleb is beside him, and Caleb's kind of like. <laughs> and I'm like, run along. You're taking away the moment. So <laughs> here's the point. I cannot imagine losing my child, like by accident or otherwise. I cannot imagine. Ministering to families recently who've lost love, I just can't imagine losing my child. But for me, not to just choose to lose her to some sort of a freak accident or some sort of disease, but to say, I love all of you so much that I'm going to have her beaten, spit on, her hair pulled out. She's going to get mocked. She's going to get beaten within inches of her lives. And they're going to put her on this cross for all to see, completely naked and embarrassed and ashamed. And they're going to slap a sign, a sarcastic sign that says, yeah, this is the king of the Jews. I can't imagine me doing that for you. Quite frankly, I don't love you that much. But God does. Thank you, babe. Love you. Love you. <laughs> but God does. God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. One last story, I'm done. There's a guy in the 40s and 50s, uh, this, this father and his son and his son's friend were off the, west, off the Pacific coast and they were, they were sailing. And this is the 40s and 50s, like they didn't really have good watercraft rules. So nobody was wearing a life jacket because everybody could swim. Why would we need a life jacket, right? Duh. Um, so they're off, in, off the coast of the Pacific and a storm shows up as it does oftentimes in the Pacific when you don't expect it. And they're trying to sail and trying to cruise. And uh, before they know it, the boat capsizes. Now waves are crashing all, every which way. Anybody ever seen that show Deadliest Catch? It's one of my favorite shows. Yeah. Waves are crashing over the boat and people are, I mean, it's, it's just a struggle. And the, the dad's looking for the boys. Where's the, where's the boys? Where's the boys? He can't find them. Well, he gets over to the boat and he's able to grab the boat. And there's one of those, those round lifesaver looking dinghies that uh, is off, that's, that's laying on the side. It's got some rope on it. And he's got one chance. He sees both his sons over here, his son and his son's friend. And they're both struggling and, and the, the waves are overcoming them. And he says, man, I got one chance. I got one chance to save one of these people. And he has to make a decision in that moment. Do I save my son or do I save his friend? He knew for a fact that his son was a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. He knew that he would see his son again and he would be with his son for eternity. He knew for a fact that his son's friend did not love Jesus, did not love the Lord. He had a split decision chance to make that decision. And he said, I love you, son. And he threw the lifeline to his buddy. He reels it in. 
His son's body is washed away, never to be recovered again. His son died that day so that he could save this young man so that he would have a chance to hear the gospel and know that how much that Jesus Christ loves him. Now, some of you are rolling your eyes going, really? That's, that's kind of far-fetched. That's exactly what two teenagers said in the early 80s when they were at this church at this revival hearing this old man tell this story. So they went up to him after him and they called him on it. Hey, old man, that's a really good story. But I know you're one of these traveling preacher types and you got these good stories saved up and I know that probably none of that true. And he goes, oh, is it not? He said, actually, young men, it is true. And you're here today because it is true. Because I was the father and your pastor was that son's friend. Now, the story may or may not be true. The principles hold the same. That's how much God loves you. He could have very easily killed all of us. Wiped us clean for your sin and my sin. I should be burning in hell right now just for the things that I did yesterday. But he didn't. He chose to save you, to offer you that lifeline to be a committed Christian, a committed follower of Jesus Christ. So as we close today, I want to ask you this question. Have you been the most committed father you could possibly be? Have you been the most committed husband you could possibly be? And most importantly, have you been the most committed follower of Jesus Christ? Or has your faith worn thin, worn smooth, and you've just kind of gone through the motions? Again, I'm not beating you over the head, guys. My kids have, have prayer journals and Bibles that are, in our, that are in our shelf that have been there since the middle of May. Yeah, it's the middle of June. I haven't done devotionals with my kids in a month. I've been telling my daughter, we need to do that. We need to get back on it, but we keep forgetting. Life keeps happening, guys. I'm not here to beat you up. I'm here to tell you I'm in the trenches with you. I want to encourage you. Today is the day. Regroup, refocus, recalibrate. Use this day, yes, to be honored as a father, but say, man, I have been messing it up as a husband, or I've been messing it up as a, as a dad, or I've been messing it up with my relationship with Christ because I have not accepted the full grace and forgiveness that he offers. I've just been trying to earn it, and it's not working, and I don't feel good, and I feel worn out, and I just want to be refreshed. My friends, God loves you. That's what he wants me to tell you today. He loves you. God loves you, regardless of your hurts, habits, or hangups. So if you're here today, men, I'm going to ask you to take a step of courage with me. And I want to speak a blessing over you. I want to encourage you. I want to commission you. So dads, if, you, if you'd say any of those three, I want to be a better father, I want to be a better husband, or I want to be a better follower of Christ, would you just stand up right where you're at? I know it's going to be tough because all of you think, we, we all think you're the most righteous men in the room. Amen. See this? Amen. This is courage, guys. It takes courage for you to stand up and say, man, I have messed up in a certain area of my life. Man, maybe you're like me. <laughs> God saved me, right? But I still mess up in all three of those areas. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray a blessing of you guys right now. Pray and commission God to just take forward not your past and not your, your, your hurts and your past, but God would commission you to move forward as a new man and as a, as a rededicated father, husband, and believer in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. So God, I pray for these men right here. I pray, God, that you would, as we, uh, as we pray over them, God, that you would give them the wisdom and discernment. Help them to grow in stature and wisdom like you did your son, Jesus Christ. Help them to grow in their faith in you. Help them, God, to feel your love in a new way for the very first time. Many of these guys have been playing church their whole life, been bringing the family to church, and they have said, man, it's just time to stop faking the funk, stop playing the game, and get down in the trenches and start doing battle against the evil one. Keep the evil one out of my house. 
Keep, keep the evil one out of every man in this room's house, God. Protect them against the flaming darts. God, protect them. Shield their families. Help him to stand in the gap for his wife and his children. Help him to be a good father. Help him to love and be proud of his children and to tell them so and to lead them well and to grow them up in, in wisdom and stature as well and a love for you because he models it and he shows it by example. And when he doesn't get it right, he asks for forgiveness and repentance and admits his wrongs. And same with the wife, God, do you show, the, show these men and give them courage to speak when they make mistakes in their marriage, to step up and say, hey, I kicked that one in the stands, honey, I am sorry. Let them be the leaders in humility and by example, be leaders in forgiveness and leaders, God, in the spiritual household and leaders in this church. Thank you, God, for every man in this church on this Father's Day who is standing today and says, I want to be better. Praise God, praise Jesus, praise the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray these things, amen. Thank you, guys.